What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to tune into the podcast. Got a special guest, Zach Gray, coming on, breaking down a lot of NBA basketball, previewing the NBA Finals, talking about the Celtics' future. It's going to be an absolutely loaded podcast. So excited to have him on. Here we go. It's time. From the moment you heard the intro, everybody's been waiting to hear one voice. An absolute stellar guest that we get to have on from time to time whenever he's not busy. Zach Gray. What is up, man? I'm back. <laughs> Let's go, Jay Smith. Let's go. Dude, I'm I'm so pumped to have you on. I'm so pumped, man. I've got, so being at my new job, working with some people who actually work in sports radio, I've had some pretty good guests on, but none of them compare, man. None of them. What a compliment. You know, I tr- I try my hardest to come on here when I can and deliver. And, you do. You know, unlike Jason Tatum, I do deliver. I was gonna, I'd was i say more like unlike Jalen Brown, but yeah, unlike both of them. <laughs> the whole team. Missoula. Yeah, Okay. So do you want to start with Boston, or do you want to start in Philly, where they just hired Nick Nurse? Uh, I, I'd i like to hear your thoughts on Nurse, man. It's interesting. It is. I think it's a great hire for Philly. I think of all the coaches that were available, Nick Nurse is the best one. But I don't think it's going to matter. Because I don't think that Doc Rivers was the full issue. Was he part of the issue? Sure. But the real issue is James Harden. James Harden's going to be 34 next year. He's going to be 34. And I'm just telling you right now, I have no faith in a 34-year-old who has little to no playoff success and refuses to stay committed through the offseason to at least stay in shape. Like, I feel like that's not a hard thing to do, okay? Like, there are guys in their 50s who aren't professional athletes who stay in shape year-round, okay? I, I don't think that it's that hard of a thing to do. And when your second-best player, or a guy who's supposed to be your second-best player, isn't committed to staying in shape and is so inconsistent, I don't care who the head coach is. You're not, you're not going to win games, and you're not going to beat Milwaukee or Boston. I don't know when you thought of these thoughts, but you literally ripped them out of my head because I was going to say the exact same thing. It was not Doc Rivers' fault. It was James Harden, and it was Embiid. I'm gonna I'm gonna die on that hill that Embiid, Embiid has still yet to prove that he is the MVP that we gave him. Same thing we did with Jokic. I mean, he got two MVPs, and we were like, "Well, are you gonna prove it, or are you just gonna keep winning regular season MVPs and not moving on in the playoffs?" Um, but you're so right. I I don't know who I was talking to, um, but I don't understand what they think is gonna change with Nick Nurse. Like they're a second round roster, they get it. They get eliminated in the second round. I mean, that's pretty. That's what's supposed to happen with that team. Yeah, I, I your your thing on Embiid because I think that the issue with Embiid, and I think it's really hard to win in the NBA in general. If you don't have consistent guard play, then it's hard to have a consistent playmaker, especially with a guy like Joel Embiid who is not even an average playmaker. I mean, he's averaging a little over three assists per game for his career. He had his career high this last year at four. I mean, when you double him, 
He's gotten better, but he's still not great at passing out of it. And look, when you look at the last 10 teams, or going back to 2013, you look at every single team who won the NBA Finals. All of them had some sort of playmaking presence, which Philly doesn't have. Okay, uh, This year, it's going to be Jokic for Denver if they end up winning. If not, Butler, an underrated playmaker. He does a great job of, get, of getting his other guys involved. And if you want to say, no, not Butler, then bam, right? They have somebody who can create shots for other people. Uh, 2022, it's Steph. 2021, Giannis, another underrated playmaker. He was at around six assists in that entire run. Uh, going back to 2020, it's LeBron. 2019, the Raptors won it. They're probably the exception, but they won it because because well, of, of all the injuries. Kyle Lowry. You got you had good Kyle Lowry That's in that true. series. That's true. And so there, it's Lowry, 18 at Steph, 17 at Steph, 16 at LeBron, 15 at Steph. 2014, Tim Duncan was the best player on that team, who if you're going to build a championship roster around Embiid, I would look at the Spurs because they're probably the closest thing to the modern NBA that won it with a low post guy with Tim Duncan. And they had Tony Parker and they had Monty Ginobili, two guys who could create shots for other people. And then in 2013, you had LeBron. So they don't have a consistent playmaking presence. And that is the biggest thing that they have to go find. Yeah, and 100% correct. That's why, you know, getting Nick Nurse is like exciting for Philly fans. It's exciting for NBA fans. But you have some like really deep-rooted roster issues that you have to figure out before you start blaming the coach. Like, I agree. There, you, you can't have your best player, um, you know, in what years in beat in? He'll be on into year seven. Yes, S- seven or eight, somewhere in there. Yeah, and my man still can't sense a double team. <laughs> like it's been, it's, it's bad. And then, you know, you're right with the Harden thing, but there, there's some actual roster construction issues and they're pretty hamstrung in the cap as well. Yeah. So the, the cap gonna, is going to change a lot of stuff. It's going to be tough for them to, you know, take that next level. I mean, you saw a Boston team uh, go to the finals last year and return the same guys plus Malcolm Brogdon and they still didn't get back. Yeah. So, you know, you need you need to build around Embiid, but you don't need to build around him, you know, with guys like Harden, for example. You need role pieces that can that can shoot and do it all. Guys maybe like not, Seth maybe Curry. Not the best. Right. <laughs> A guy who played for Philly. But here yeah, is <laughs> here's an adjustment that I think I would make if I was Philly. That if Nick Nurse makes, I think they can go further. Even with the roster the way that it is. Now they won't do it, and I'll I'll, I'll give you the reasons why. But if Nick Nurse comes in and he empowers Tyrese Maxey to be the lead guard and makes James Harden play off the ball just a little bit more, then I'd have way more faith in them. But here's the issue. You aren't going to take the ball out of the hands of the GM's baby who you're paying $35 million a year. You're, just, you're, you're not going to take the ball out of that guy's hands. That's just sadly the way that it works. But if I was Philly... I would move into the Tyrese Maxey era of things because he's a really good. I love Tyrese Maxey. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's he can shoot it, he can get to the rim, he can create for guys off the dribble. Beyond what Harden does with just all the annoying things that he does, <laughs> I don't even want to get into it. Jeez, but that is what I think is the answer for Philly in terms of their current roster. They've got to do more stuff where Maxey has the ball in his hands and he's just not attacking guys off off of a closeout because that's really all, all he does right now. Right. And you know, Maxie does a lot of good things and you know, most of all 
he competes. He, he competes does. his ass off. And, uh, you know, you've seen that all throughout the playoffs. Like, guys that compete will stay on the floor in playoff games and win you games. Caleb Martin. And, you know, Caleb Martin. Um, I think of, you know, I think back to that Sixer series and, like, very, very first, you know, play of the game, you can kind of tell that Harden's in a shell. Yes. And, like, he's not attacking. He's not wanting to be the guy. Um, but Maxie brings it every day. Now, he does have some limitations on defense. Yeah, um, but James Harden doesn't? Right. I agree. I mean, I'd rather have the more athletic guy on defense than you he's know, also than still. Not. He's also still pretty young. It's what his third, fourth year in the league. Oh, he's yeah, he's yeah. super young. And guys yeah. usually learn how to defend the more that they play in the NBA. Usually, not always, but with a guy who competes like that, you would just expect for him to kind of figure it out at some point. Oh yeah, I, I agree. I think he's a great player, um, but I just don't know if he's ready to to shoulder that load right now. Um, yeah. and be that be that primary ball handler that you have to count on for 40 minutes a night. I just don't know if he's there yet. I think a nice piece to supplement, I don't know if they can swing it. This might mean Harden leaves, but I would love to see them get a Kyle Kuzma. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Is he? Do you think he's perimeter-oriented enough to play alongside Embiid? Because he's a guy who likes to slash and, and, and get to the rim. So I think that's really kind of the question. That's the question I would have at least. Well, I think he's been willing and showed a willingness to pass. Like yes. he didn't when he was when he was early in his career, but I think with, you know, the end of the Lakers tenure, the Wizards era, I think he's shown that he will pass the Wizards you know, era. You know, if he trusts, yeah. <laughs> if he trusts <laughs> Yeah, if he trusts his teammates, I think he will pass and I think he just kind of relieves some pressure on offense for a an offense that really, really can get stagnant and the ball sticks. And there's a, you know, I know Kuzma likes the ISO, but I still think, you know, his slashing, his cutting ability, his spot up shooting ability opens the floor for guys like Embiid and Maxi to attack the paint and, and get those little elbow jumpers that Embiid likes. So I'd love to see a Ma- uh, uh, Kuzma sighting in Philly. Do you know when Tobias Harris's co- contract expires? He still plays. Yeah, I know, right? That's the point. Because he, he wasn't cheap either. No, he's expensive, and I forgot about him, honestly. Yeah, his contract runs up at the end of this next year where his base salary for the 2023-2024 season is $39 million. I just can't believe that. That you doesn't just, make any sense to me. I uh, I agree. Trust me, I am right there with you. Did Philly sign him to that? I forget. Did Philly sign him to that, or did his previous team? I'm not too, too sure. I don't... I don't even know who his previous team was. He's been on like four. He's playing in Detroit, right? He's been in Detroit. I know that. I think he went from Detroit to Philly. Yeah, he played for the Magic. I think he was drafted by the Magic, right? Yeah, sounds good. (laughs) I have no idea. I don't (laughs) mean. Excuse me for not following Tobias Harris's career. That's the point, right? (laughs) Like how how in the world can that guy get almost forty million a year? And like he's been a. You know, when he was young, he was like, oh, he's going to get so much better. He's going to be great. And then he just kind of one of those guys that just stayed the same his entire career. And he got yeah. paid based on a projection that was never there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which happens I didn't guys. think we were going to Tobias Harris hour. I, I really didn't. didn't. <laughs> well, I mean, when you brought up Kyle Kuzma, I think it was only right. <laughs> right. But, yeah, that's. So Nick Nurse is good, right? We like Nick Nurse. I like Nick Nurse. I don't like James Harden. So nothing new for the people who tune into the podcast, from from me at least. 
we think it has the possibility to pay dividends later down da- later down the line. It does. But if, he's not an immediate success. But the thing is that I think is interesting, Joel Embiid really liked Rivers. And, you know, your job is only as secure as your relationship w- with, with whoever the best player is. And so yes. if they don't come in and they don't see immediate improvement, you know, like let's say they exit in the second round again, then just Joel just, doesn't be get upset like, and we, we made it to the second round with my guy, like like this guy didn't do any better, right? And so that'll be the interesting thing to watch. Does Embiid buy in to what Nurse has to offer? Stylistically, do you think things change? Like, do you think do you think it's the same old uh, Joel in the post, Joel at the elbow, or do you think Nurse you know, kind of reinvigorates the offense? I think it's going to be a lot more Joel at the elbow. I think he's so much better at the free throw line area than he is on the block. Just yep. especially from a passing standpoint, because when you put him at the free throw line and you space the floor out the way that they did under Doc Rivers, it's easier to see where the double team's coming from, which is gonna which helps him tremendously. That, and when he catches the ball at the free throw line, it's two points. He doesn't miss. When he catches Dude, the ball like from there. he's like me when I was a senior in high school. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't miss either, so I relate to Joel on that. Yes, I mean, that's what I think he's going to do. I think it'll open the floor up as well. Especially, the other thing too is, when he catches the ball there, even if it's you know a step or two back, it opens up backdoor cutting as well. Whereas when he's on the block, it's so hard to run guys through. And so when he catches the ball there, it should be easier for guys to cut and you get more off-ball movement. And I do think that Nurse is going to bring some of that. But it'll be interesting to see what they do with Harden. I think that's really what I'm most interested to watch. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about um, the ceiling for Embiid, like an offense led by Embiid. The more you're talking it out, you, you can't really do much with Embiid. You can't you can't use him as the ball handler and pick and roll. You can't. And uh, that's that's the thing about Jokic. Like, he's the exception to this rule. Because I, I think this right. is a rule across the NBA. Jokic is the only guy that is the that is the exception. Yeah, and, it, you know, when you're talking that out about getting space and stuff like that, it's like, well, damn, you know, that's, that's about all you can do unless you, you know, unless you trust him to, you know, handle the ball you know, at the elbow and maybe get a pick off that, but that that's like 1980s basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I don't think 1980s basketball would win now. <laughs> no, certainly not. So, but yeah, I, I think we're on the same page, though. Nick Nurse for the long run is good if Joel Embiid buys in, but the ultimate problem was not Doc Rivers. It was James Harden and the lack of role players. Which, like, in, in terms of their role players, like, outside of Maxi, who I wouldn't really even say is a role player, I like Harris. I like Tobias Harris as a role player. I just don't like paying him $39 million. Like, if you were paying Tobias Harris, like, 10 or $15 million, I think you're fine with him. But it's oh, the yeah, fact that you you're paying that. him so much. Yeah, you do, yeah. And so, but outside of that, they got to add some guys. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. And the thing, though, it should be really easy for them to add role players. Because of how good Joel Embiid is defensively at defending the rim, look, it's still important to have guys who, who can defend on the outside. But when you have a guy like Embiid, it's less important. Yeah. And so, you can funnel. Exactly. And so, I don't know. What I'm thinking is they should fire Maury and just hire us. That's what I think should happen. Dude, we would go 82-0 and 0 if you gave us a roster in a, in a 
couple hundred million dollars. <laughs> give it, give me, yeah, seriously, that and like, we're already starting with Maxine and Bede. You know what? They could send us to Charlotte, and and we could figure it out. We're getting Kuzma wherever we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. Can we get uh, Kayla Martin too? Right, the Dude. the Charlotte Hornets wrongs. What is his? What is he on, bro? Like, I just want it to be known that I bet his over in points after game one for the rest of the series, and I made a good chunk of change. I'm about off to of say Caleb you probably Martin. hit every single one of those. He's just, I don't even know, man. He didn't miss a mid range jump shot the entire Eastern Conference Finals. It's insane, and I think, I think more guys in the league can do what he did. I just don't yeah. know if there is the freedom that he started to garner after a couple games. Like there was, you know, he started off good in game one and, and then you just saw the confidence build and you saw the trust from the coaching staff build trust from his teammates. And like, he was able to get, you know, 17, 18, 19 shots. Like he would, he wasn't anywhere close to that in the regular season. He averaged like nine a game. He did. He's, he's, he averaged nine points a game for his entire career. And then all of right. a sudden, he shows up in the Eastern Conference Finals and averages 19 points a game. And Facts. while pulling down six and a half rebounds and playing really good defense. And I, I think that you're right. For, for an, in a certain aspect of, there's a lot of guys who during the regular season can average like 20 points a night if you give them, you know, 15 shots a night. Like there's a lot of right. guys who can do that. But being able to do it in the playoffs when you're playing defense at the level that he was, I mean... I think that the biggest moment in that game seven, they're closing out the half, and he hits a three, and then he, I think they get a stop, and then he comes down, and he goes baseline, runs underneath the basket, hits and double dribbles. Let's just ignore that part, okay? (laughs) He comes out the other side, full sprint, turns, and hits a fadeaway jump shot. That is one of the hardest shots in the NBA. All the analytics tell you do not take that shot because of the difficulty and the fact that it's only worth two points and nothing but net. And from that point on, he didn't miss a shot from the second quarter on. <laughs> I mean, this this Game 7 stuff was just ridiculous. He, he had a double-double. He had 26-10. and 10. Dude, he and, was hitting every jump, every, you know, catch-and-shoot opportunity. You know, we even saw him, like you said, get in his bag and, you know, you know, hezzy into a shot or cross into a shot. Like, he yeah. was shooting off the dribble. He was, you know, driving the lane. He was finishing unbelievable. He shot like 60%. Everything. He shot 60% from the floor in, he was in that doing Celtics series. everything great. It was crazy. And they, they needed it, especially with Hero out. And that's why he's getting the shots that he's getting. And even with Hero coming back, I just... I have no faith that Tyler, that Tyler Hero is going to play well because he hadn't played in a month, and you're just going to throw him into the NBA Finals. They're better without him, and I don't mean like they have better talent without him. I mean like they're they just, and I'm not even saying he's a bad player. It, it, everything just moves more smooth. There's more of a there's more of a pace. There's more of a rhythm What's without that? him. There's that, and the, my favorite part of him not playing is Jimmy Butler has the ball more. That's I, I think that's kind of the biggest advantage because, like, I think, oh, man, what's the number? Jimmy Butler's usage rate in the regular season, I believe, is around, like, 20%. It may have been 22%. In the playoffs, though, it's, like, 30, 33%, which is, 
first of all, when guys' usage rate rates go up that much, you don't see an increase in production. Usually, you see guys get worse because they're just they get tired. And Jimmy Butler's just insane. And so, now but, he was trash kind of in Game Six. He was. He oh him and Bam both were bad in Game Six. What's up with Bam, dude? And I know we're we're moving along, but like, what's what's going on with Bam, man? Like, I truly think I don't know if you saw my tweets. I did. Um, dude, from the first quarter of the first game, I was like, Bam can average twenty five points this series if one he looks to, looks for a shot for once in his freaking life, and two, you know, he had that little eight foot jump shot that he loves and can hit consistently open all the time, and he would just not take it and he would hold the ball until there's like nine seconds left in the shot clock. Like he is frustrating me on offense. Yeah. And he has to, he can't do that in this series. If he does that against Denver, there's no way that they, no way that they win. No way. And I don't know. I, are are you ready to do all all the preview stuff or do we want to slow down and, and, and talk to Celtics first? We can go to the Celtics. I got a lot on the Celtics. Okay, that's kind of what I thought. I, I like the idea of, of closing out with the finals, too. Okay. So let's say this first. The more consistent <laughs> team won that series. True. I think I think that's that's the biggest thing. I think that, you know, if you rank the top ten players in this series, it's, you know, probably Jimmy Butler and then a whole bunch of Celtics and then somebody else, probably Caleb Bam. Martin. Or, or Martin, <laughs> either one, right? And then, I don't even know where to start. You go. You just go. I, I, I can't believe this. So, Jay Smith, who is the biggest Celtics fan you know going, you know, from February of last season on to the finals? That would be Bill Simmons followed by Zach Gray. I was on the train early. Even before they went on their run, I told you. I said, the Celtics are coming. The Celtics are coming. And I looked past all of the things that I see now. And what I see now is Jason Tatum is not Kobe. He's not Durant. Oh, no. no. He's not an all-time great. Not yet. He's Paul he's Paul George. Ooh, that's that's pretty good. I like that. He's Paul George. I mean, think about those series with the Heat when he was with the Pacers. He was doing incredible things. He was having great regular seasons. But you just knew that he wasn't going to get over that hump. Yeah. And that's how I feel about Tatum. I I think Tatum's a great player. Don't get me wrong. He's obviously a great player. But you can tell he's just a level or two below, you know, the guys he's compared to. And I think we need to give him more realistic expectations. I don't mind that. My biggest thing with Tatum is the inconsistency in big games. Because, you know, he'll have, he'll have Game 7 against Philly where he comes out and he scores 50 and everybody's going crazy talking about how great Jason Tatum is. And then he has this series where he was so up and down and, you know, Game 7, I'm not going to blame him as much because, I mean, he turned his ankle pretty bad there at the start. We don't give anybody on his level quote, quotations a pass for that, though. Like, why do we have to give him a pass? That's fair. Because he's not on their level. Right, so we're <laughs> subconsciously everyone knows that, but I don't know. It's yeah. just, but I, I think but, that the biggest thing that I want to see from him, I think the thing that would benefit Boston the most, is exactly what I said about Philly. Boston does not have a guy who can not only get shots for himself, 
but can also get shots for everybody else. And no, t- time out. Time out. We did. We were so enthralled with Marcus Smart's playmaking last year. We were like, "Holy cow, he's a point guard." <laughs> he is. He, he. He. We were like, he's playmaking at a high level, and he was still doing that this year. So I, I don't know if that's it. But with the way that's that all I'm saying, with the way that Boston runs their offense, the ball is predominantly in Tatum's or Brown's hands, and neither one of those guys look. Those guys can get shots for themselves whenever they want, unless it's Jalen Brown after the second dribble, third dribble on, <laughs> nothing good happens, but. First two dribbles for Jalen Brown and any dribble for Tatum, they can get their own shot. But those guys, they don't create for other players like a lot of the other big-time stars who are above them in terms of the levels do. Like, right. like who, who are the best players in the league? LeBron, create shots for other people. Luka, create shots for other people. Jokic, create shots for other people. And the guys who maybe don't do it at that level of, you know, Luka, Jokic, and LeBron or are just physical forces like Giannis, right? Like, sure, he doesn't create shots like Luka or Jokic, but he can get to the rim whenever he wants. And Tatum isn't that level of an offensive score. So in order for him to get to that next level, he has to playmate. He has to become a better playmaker. He has to, he has to accept that, you know, he doesn't need 35 a game. You know, give me, give me 22 to 25 a game and, you know, eight, seven or eight assists. Like, you look at, I hate, you're going to be like, what the heck? But bringing up LeBron's career numbers, like 27, 7, and 7. Yes. If Tatum can sit somewhere around there, you know, they got a shot. But you can't just keep going 2 of 11 from 3 and expecting to win. And that's the thing. They, man, they shoot a lot of threes. They take so many threes. And I was listening to Kevin O'Connor, who does great work for the Ringer, talk about awesome. Tatum. And he made a really good point. Of Tatum from you know his first two years to now, he doesn't take any mid-range jump shots anymore, and that was one of the best things about his game, really early on. And look, like I get threes worth more than two, and Boston loves all their analytics and stuff. But Kevin Durant scores a lot of points, and he loves that mid-range jump shot. Devin Booker scores a lot of points, and he loves that mid-range jump shot. Kawhi, and Kawhi Leonard, like they're like you can do it, especially when when you're six ten. And can handle the ball like like all those guys are big wings who can handle it. Right. And so Jason Taylor should be a guy who should be able to get to, you know, 15 feet and score. He should be unguardable from that area, truly. Like yes. He, with his size and the lift that he gets on his jump shot, he should be unguardable from, you know, 15 to 17 feet. Yeah. And look, part of it is probably him, but the other part of it, I think, is just where he's at in Boston, where they don't want those guys taking those shots. Yeah. But so you're blaming Jason Tatum. I'm blaming yeah. Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, would you like to guess how many assists he had to turnovers in this series? No, but it's a lot to a little. 24 assists to 25 turnovers. He turned the ball over 25 times. <laughs> he turned it over great. eight times in game seven. I mean, I just. And look, if you're going to do that, you better score a lot of points. And he didn't really do that either. I no. mean, look, he averaged, you know. in game seven? Yeah, that sounds right. He averaged, you know, 22 for the series on on 18 shots a game. I just, like. 
and that's all he was giving you to. Like he was playing no defense. He wasn't. He wasn't holding on to the basketball. Nope. He wasn't creating for. I mean, it was just it was bad. There's there's no other way to put it. I mean, I I don't know. I I think he's he's more of the issue, uh, truly. Because look, like, how, like how can you be good? At, how can you be that good at basketball? How can you be second team All NBA when you can't put the ball on the floor more than twice? You can't, but you. I guess he does. That's the crazy part. Like he is so good, but like he can't dribble. It's insane how he can't dribble. And that's what Miami did. They got up underneath him and they made him put it on the floor. And he struggled, man. He looked like he looked like a high school point guard, like a high school point guard who knows that he's supposed to be able to dribble, but because you know he's sixteen years old, he really can't at, at a high enough level yet to to, to break a press. And so he this turns is it over. Oddly specific. That's oddly specific. I mean, is, are we talking about you? We're I, <laughs> no. I wasn't good enough to make my high school team. My uh, the competition. Oh, the competition was the guy who led the ACC in points per game and assists per game this year. That was the starting point guard in my high school. Oh, I, I dude, I forgot your where you went to high school. Basically, that whole area is just has super athletes everywhere. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's like yeah. And so I, I'd go play fives with those guys, and I would stand in the corner and knock down open shots and try to play defense. And by try to play defense, I mean not look stupid. Right. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, but uh, I back to the to the Brown Tatum thing. I heard. Don't tell me. Don't ask me why I was watching Get Up. But I was watching Get Up at work, so I nice. don't normally watch it. Um, but Mike Greenberg's silly, goofy ass was talking to, I think, Tim Legler. And he was like, um, he was talking about chemistry. And he was like, you know, it can be, you know, Greeny and Legler, or it can be Greeny plus Legler. Basically saying, you know, Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown exist on the floor together, but they don't make each other better. They don't. They're just, they just exist on the floor, and they do things independently from each other on the floor, so they don't ever make themselves better by being on the floor together. I don't. I I thought that was actually amazing. Yeah, that's that's great. He's good too. I love Legler. Legler needs to be a head coach. <laughs> he really does. But look, when, when it comes to Boston and their future, I've got trades that you haven't heard yet, so I will. I'll, I'll run through them. But ultimately. It just it depends on how Boston feels about Brown and Tatum, and with you know the extensions coming up, they're going to pay them both over a hundred million dollars annually between the both of them, and like I, like I think it's really easy to sit here and call for them to move on, but like these are two guys who took them to the NBA Finals, like these are two big wings who should be two-way players. I don't know why they decided to just not play defense against Miami. But it's really hard to find guys like this. And so I, I don't know if, if if they're gonna move on. But I I would trade Brown. I think I think that's what I would do. Because I think that people are in this idea of like win now, win now, win now. But a whole bunch of these contracts are about to expire. Marcus Smart's 30. Like is he's not going to be the same here within the next two years. Uh Bam out of bio's 38. Not Bam Adebayo. Al Horford's 38. I mean, like, they've got some aging players, and they're going to have to tear it down soon anyway. And I'm sorry, but, like, when you look at the East, like, they're not better than Milwaukee. Okay, like, I I think that if Milwaukee's healthy in round one, are we even talking about Miami? Good chance we're not. And so, 
I mean, I I would move on from Brown. I would get ahead of it because look, J- Jason Tatum's twenty five. Okay, you can tear it down now. You can get ready. You can get ready to make your second attempt at it with Tatum as your guy, and you've got probably like a seven or eight year window. You got seven or eight, seven or eight years, and then he's thirty three, and then you can reevaluate then. Yep. I I don't think Brown's the guy. So. The people who listened to the podcast last Tuesday already heard these, so I'm going to try and do this as quickly as I can. My notes are all over the place. So, (laughs) option number one, they can go for it. They can send Brown to Portland and get, or excuse me, for salary cap reasons, they'd have to send Brown and Robert Williams to Portland for Damian Lillard, Skylar Mays, and the 23rd overall pick in the draft. And and the 43rd. I think those are really good picks because with the 23rd pick, they can replace Robert Williams and take Lively from Duke. Or if they don't want Lively, they can take Clowney from Alabama, who I think I would prefer just because of his ability to space the floor. And then with the 43rd pick, they can take a wing or somebody. Um, And then that was one of them. Or they can go the long route because, as I said, they still have time. They can send Brown and, and Rob Robert Williams for uh, Anthony Simons, Skylar Mays. I really like Mays, by the way. I think I he's tell. a really good role player. <laughs> um, and a whole bunch of draft picks. Because, you know, Portland, like, they want to win now, and they want to win with Dame. So they're going to give up picks to win now. And, look, we've seen Boston do this before to teams where they just take a whole bunch of picks, and then they take Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like, we've seen them do something similar to this before. And they'd probably get the number three overall pick in, in that scenario because we know that Portland's looking to move it. And then you can take Scoot or um, Miller, right, out of Bama. Yeah. Miller, right? Yeah. And so there's your next guy to put alongside Tatum. Or, this is the last one I'll, I'll do. They can call up Atlanta and they can send Jalen Brown and Robert Williams for John Collins, Sadiq Bay, Bogdanovich, and a whole bunch of picks. Wow, that's what I would do. I, I would I would trade them. I'd probably go with the Portland route just so I can grab the number three overall pick. That second option was the one that really struck me. You know, getting Simons back, dudes. Simons probably a good player. An, he's probably an All Star moving forward. If we're being honest, if he's not in Portland, he probably is. Yeah, I don't. I think even I think he's ascending to an All Star type player. Yeah. If you can get him and you can get some draft picks, um, you know, if you're going to get rid of him, if you're going to get rid of Jalen Brown and you're set on getting rid of Jalen Brown, I would I would be open to that second option. Okay, fair enough. I just, the other thing too is we talked about role players in Philly earlier. The salary cap with the way that it's going to be, because it's, it's not a hard cap, but it basically is with all the penalties if you go right. over. You can't afford to pay two guys a hundred million dollars a year, and that's how much they're going to pay between the two of them. I don't think that you can afford to do that and properly put guys around them. Now, if it's LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you can do it because it's LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and they cover a whole bunch of holes as is. Brown and Tatum don't cover enough holes to pay them that much money. I I just I'm on the side of you probably don't trade them. Okay, just for the simple fact that it's like. You know, you got a you got a bird in the hand. You know what I mean? That's fair. Like you've got these two guys. Like, I feel like it would be harder 
to replace Jalen Brown and get back to the level you're at rather than replace the role players around him. You know, you can like the heat. I know we keep bringing up the heat and their players, but like you can find, you know, through the years players that fit a little better or players that can do a specific role that you're looking for. You can't just wake up one day and find a Jalen Brown. I don't know. I think there's a lot of guys who can score off of two dribbles in the NBA. Uh, yeah, he he can't dribble and he doesn't get any better at dribbling but it makes he, no sense he he is a he is a star he is and like you don't just you can't just find those is my point that's fair I, but if you really like scoot or miller and you think you can get them at three i think that's the only way that you make the move you got to have a lot of faith in one of the in whoever you get at three but if you get Miller, are you just running yourself back in the same situation? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Two wings. But yeah, I, I I think that I think the biggest thing though is like they don't have to win now. Like I said, like Tatum's twenty five. Okay, when when people do the list that they love to make, who are the best players of the age twenty five and younger? Because twenty five is considered young in the NBA, even though Tatum's been around for six years now. Right. Like he still falls into that category. So. I don't think that people have to rush with Boston. Obviously, if they do rush and they do figure it out, like the window's bigger for them to be a you know a dynasty, you know get, get Jalen Brown his five rings in his first seven years or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I I think, I don't think it's rushing anymore. I think I think you're, you know. Your window's either still open and you think you can make it happen or you're seeing the the window completely close shut. Yeah. And it's hard to get that window back open. Well, I, so I would I love, just be cautious. You know what I mean? I would yeah. just be a little cautious about making those types of changes. You know, there's no guarantee you get back to being uh Eastern Conference Finals finals, yeah. you know, favorite. I, I so think I just, you know. I think my the favorite my favorite thing that I've seen in all of this with the Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum stuff, somebody I, I forget who and I hate that I forget tweeted out the ages of all these major stars, how old they were the first time when they won a title. None of them were twenty five; they were all twenty seven or twenty eight. Yep. Which you know we, we look at Jokic. I mean, he's twenty eight. Jimmy Butler's thirty three if he wins his first one here, like. That's kind of more of what I say when when I say that they still have time. Like, in two or three years, if it's not working, then you probably blow it up all the way. But, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. That's a good point. That's a really good point because that that is a a trend. It is of of, of stars. Um, so that's a really good point. And yeah, like you have to lose. Like this is really dumb. I hate when people say stuff like this, but I'm gonna say it. Sometimes, like <laughs> you have to lose. You have to lose to learn how to win. Like that's that's a thing that we've seen, right? You know, Jordan couldn't beat the Pistons, LeBron couldn't beat the Spurs. Um and we look at, you know, Dirk in Dallas when he won his one, he couldn't beat the Spurs. A lot of people just couldn't beat the Spurs. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like that's a very common thing. And so Yeah. We'll see. But my No, I like it. I I'm I would actually so since I'm anti trading Brown, I'm gonna be honest with you. That Anthony Simons pick three package, if I don't know if that is that too much to give the Celtics for Jalen Brown, I don't know. But I would definitely think about that one very hard. And I would if you could even probably talk me into pulling the trigger on that. 
Like yeah. you kind of have already. Sweet. <laughs> and then I, I think, so let me ask you this. Because you don't want to move on from Jalen Brown, do you move on from second row Joe? I think, I mean, let's just be honest. Let's call it what it is. He had the best record in the Eastern Conference and went to game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. The dude had never been on the front row of a bench before. Like, I'd say that's a pretty good start. And I know people want to fire him and talk about his timeouts. And I agree. Um, but he got better. He learned. Like, he learned. I think that's that's the biggest takeaway from the Eastern Conference Finals is as the series went on, I feel like he got better. And honestly, in Game yeah. 7, look, pe- people have talked a lot about the three-point shots. Until about eight minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, a lot of those three-point shots were good looks. They just didn't make them. And that's yeah. the danger of losing the first three games in a series. Because when you got to win four in a row, you're bound to have a night where you don't shoot well. And we thought that was game sure. six. And they figured out how to win that one. And, you know, they shot terribly in game seven as well. Yeah, I just don't know how, you know, Brad Stevens, you know, knowing all the information that he's a first-year head coach, that he didn't have a staff, like all of these things that we talk about. You know, he knew Brad Stevens knew that already, and he had to have known that there were going to be some situations where Missoula just hadn't gone through it yet, through it yet, or seen it and was going to have to learn. And like for him to have the best record in the East, for him to go to game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals, like at 34 years old, bro, see what you have there. Like, why would you cut him loose now? The other thing is, you know, I'm sorry that Joe Missoula couldn't outcoach the best coach in the NBA. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> like the, no one does that really. Like there's only a select few coaches that can go toe to toe with Spo and you're you're knocking this dude because he went to seven with with him. Like that's crazy to me. Yeah, I, I agree. Um you have anything else on Boston? I think they're in a I think they're in a weird, you know, panic area. I think it can get real weird here soon. It if, could. What if they just blow it all up? They're like Tatum on the block. Jalen Brown on the block. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be, I, I would just be worried like where this is heading. Like this is a very, very pivotal off season in Tatum's career. Like, this, whatever the Celtics decide to do, I feel like it's going to have a very, very long-term impact. This is the first time in Brad Stevens's career as a, you know, as the president of basketball operations that this has been like a very tense off season. Like I'm not going to say things have been like smooth sailing, but for the most part, before before the Emay stuff, it was. He had these two young stars. He had, you know, Al Horford, you know, the voice in the locker room. He had a guy in Marcus Smart. Like, this is the first time we're really going to figure out how good he is as a GM. Yeah, and I think, I think last year, you know, kind of gave him some credibility going out and getting Brogdon like he did. Yeah, that was a great pickup just for him yeah. to not play well in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think he didn't he tear a ligament in his arm or, or I think something? I think he did something to his elbow. Yeah. Tommy John as a basketball player. That you never see that. You don't. <laughs> you don't. Golly, that's wild. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what they do. I'm they're probably one of the bigger stories heading into the offseason. Them in Philly. And then I just okay. I'm I'm ready to talk about the finals. All right. Here, here are my very short notes because I don't think it takes many. The Heat aren't going to be able to play zone. They played zone more than any other team in the league. Jokic is going to tear that zone up. Denver has multiple defenders to throw at Butler. Gordon, KCP, 
Brown, and Brown. All four of those guys can guard Butler for stretches. And whoever doesn't guard Butler, you can put them on Martin, okay? I think that in order for Miami to win this series, Caleb Martin has to stay hot. Tyler Hero has to be really good. I don't know if he can be after not playing for a month. Especially when Butler's off the floor. Like, he doesn't have to be great when Butler's on the floor. In some ways, it may help spacing, having him out there just just as another shooter. But when Butler's off the floor, Tyler Hero has to be really good. And I think that Jamal Murray is going to struggle in stretches simply because of the defenders that Miami has. As great as this run has been for the Miami Heat, give me the Nuggets in five. Jonathan, I respect your opinion. And I look forward to coming on this podcast and talking about sports with you. That's good. And I agree with everything you just said. And I think everything you said is logical. Okay, that's good. I think good. it makes sense. Okay. But there is a part of me that the heat don't make sense. And there's no reason they why they should be here. Right? There's no reason why they should be here. And I'm going to pick the Nuggets in six. <laughs> <laughs> You had me going. You did that really well. You did <laughs> no, that so well. In all serious though, seriousness though, we'll get to uh, we'll get to best bets for the game game one here in a little bit. I've got a heater. I, if this doesn't hit, I'll be shocked. <laughs> Which is what just, every gambler says. Maybe not, but I think I think that it. I don't think this will be a runaway series for the Nuggets. They will have to earn it every night. Yes. I think it's going to be really similar to the Lakers series where three three out of those four games were really close. And the Nuggets made the extra play and they were able to put the Lakers away. I think it's going to be really similar here simply because Coach Spo is incredible. With that being said, Mike Malone, really good, good coach. Really good coach. I've, I've been on the Malone train for a while and it's nice to see him get his due because what he does he's he's really good anyway um yeah I mean yeah so I'm with you I I I like I like the Nuggets in five you like them in six I think it's just going to be hard to eliminate Jimmy Butler on on his own floor yeah and so I just think there's too much pride there's too much comp there's too much you know ferocity they compete too hard to get to get waxed off the floor like they're going to steal uh, two games in this series and i think the rest of the you know the four games the nuggets win will be close i think the i don't i think the only way it goes 6 is if miami steals game 1 which denver hasn't lost at home and then again miami's won every game one on the road so far in this postseason but i don't know going to denver is so hard with just yeah. the altitude and now that being said like they're not, you know, they're not like LA where some of their better players are older. And so that shouldn't matter as much. But man, just going up there and the, the most incredible thing, the thing I'm so excited to watch about this series is what Coach Spo cooks up to defend this offense that gets a good shot every time every down time. the floor. Yep. It's it's, it's incredible. <laughs> and a lot of it is Jokic and the guys that they put around him. But my my favorite thing to watch Denver do is when they run screen and roll with Jokic as the ball handler. It's my favorite thing. I love it so much. Jamal Murray, 
setting screens on these big guys so Jokic can run screen and roll. And then they're it's they're so hard to stop. They have a stretch every single game where they run like four dribble handoffs in a row to either Murray or Porter, and they hit all three or four. Yep. And you know, like Jokic is a big guy. He's two hundred eighty pounds. Like that is the perfect guy to be running a dribble handoff with because he's just he's so big. You know, you're Gabe Vincent. You know, six foot two, <laughs> maybe. You know, one hundred eighty five pounds, trying to get around this monstrosity of a human being. It's just I don't, jeez. And then he'll keep it and go to the rim. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like the touch that he has, I let me ask you this because I've been asking people this question, and some of the responses I've gotten have been absolutely absurd. And I know yours won't be. Who does Jokic like? Wh- who does Jokic remind you of? Arvita Sabonis. I've I've heard that a lot. That's a, okay. That's fair. I he's, he's he's way better. The only reason why I compare him to Sabonis is because they're both centers. They're both big, and they you know probably the the first and second best big man passers ever. But there's no comp for Jokic when it comes to the offensive skill besides passing. And, you know, you can say what he want, you want about the defense, but he's a big body down there. He's not, even just... a, bad, he's not a bad defender. Okay, this is... Sure, I agree. Going. I'm with you. I, when these TV people who didn't watch Jokic until the Western Conference Finals go on TV and say Jokic can't defend, it's the most frustrating thing ever. Because here's, here's the truth. You see an unathletic white person the immediate assumption is that they cannot play defense. Okay, so everybody says, you look at Joe Ingles, who can play defense. One of my one of my favorite stories, Jordan Clarkson gets traded to Utah. First practice, he sees Joe Ingles, who looks like a dad at a Little League game. <laughs> he points him out. Doesn't, doesn't point him out, but like consistently tries to take him one-on-one just because of the way that he looks. And Jordan Clarkson doesn't score because Joe Ingles is a good defender. Now, obviously... Yeah. You know, and it's just like there's this thing like with these unathletic white guys. I understand it as an unathletic white guy. Oh, let me not cut myself off too short there. I'm I'm kind of <laughs> athletic. Anyway, like he is consistently in the right spot. And when you are that big and you mm-hmm. stay in between whoever you're defending in the basket, you're going to get the job done. Okay? Like I'm I'm sorry that Joel Embiid gave him 47 in the regular season. Joel Embiid gives a lot of people 40 in the regular season. So I, I don't think that that should... 50 dropped on you, though. Come on. That's fair. But still. <laughs> like, nobody no, I'm with you. Embiid. He's not... He's by no means an elite defender. I'm, no, I'm never not. going to concede that. Yeah. But he's a serviceable enough defender to where his greatness, and I mean all-time greatness on the offensive end, makes him a complete player. Yes. Like, he's not so bad that you have to hide him on defense. In the rebounding. He rebounds. Yeah. That's the one That's the one thing about his game I don't think people talk about enough. He rebounds so well for being unathletic. The number of times him and Anthony Davis are battling on the glass for a rebound, and he taps it against the glass three times, and he comes down with it. It's unreal. Dude, his offensive rebounding... That too. I it, both sides. And when he gets a defensive rebound, he turns into Draymond Green. He grabs it and he runs up the floor and they're on a break. And, and he's also not afraid to throw the outlet either. He's not one of those selfish he's not very selfish when it comes to like running the break. Like if there's a guy 
you know, that's if Murray's leading out towards half court and he's got a line, giving it to him. He's not going to, he's not going to dribble the ball up himself. Yep. So I heard with Jeff Van Gundy yet yesterday and he said, yep. He said that the hardest thing to get guys to do in the NBA is run the break hard. And when you're playing with a guy like Jokic who will give it up, they get guys to do it all the time. Yeah. He said, yeah, he was talking about that and he was talking about the cutting where like if you know, you know, if you know you're getting the ball, if you get a, you know, an inch of space, like you're going to want to pass more and you're going to, you know, you're going to get the ball more and have more chances to score, so you're going to want to make have that off-ball movement. You I do. thought that he's brilliant. He's so good. He's my favorite guy to listen to. He can be a little weird. Yeah, he can. <laughs> but in terms of just the basketball stuff, I think he's he's the best. Um yeah, so here's here's my comp for Jokic, and then I'll, I'll give you the absurd one that my uncle gave me. Tim Duncan, just in terms of the ability to the touch, is why I would say Tim Duncan, because Tim Duncan had the touch, you know, obviously around the rim with the hook shots and the little floaters. Yeah. But then he also had the ability to step, you know, 15 feet away from the basket and bank it in. Now, obviously, Jokic isn't banking the ball in, but you got to have touch to do that. And I think that the touch is very Tim Duncan-esque on the offensive end. Now, the passing, you know, it's a bonus, obviously. Like, I I think that's really the only big guy for the passing. But in terms of the touch and the scoring around the rim, I I, I think it's it's Tim Duncan. Isn't it crazy? Like, we can compare little parts of his game to all-time greats. Yeah. So he oh, he's he, his passing is is better than the best big big passer ever. Oh, his finishing is a, a, at the level of a top ten player ever. Like that's yeah. crazy. Like think really about is. how we're talking about him. Like that's special. It is. And then my my uncle. I love my uncle. He's a Boston fan, so kind of feel bad for him. Anyway, he said Shaquille O'Neal, and. I'm trying to get there. His here was his thing. He thinks he thinks that athletically they're very similar in the aspect that like size wise they're both just bigger guys in general. Yeah. And my uncle thinks that if they had asked Shaq to, which they never would have because it was the '90s, he thinks that if they would have asked Shaq to play point guard and bring the ball up the floor like Jokic does, he thinks that he could have done it. Oh my God, that would have been amazing. Well, so I, I look. I think it's absurd, but at the same time, have you yeah, seen? Yeah, of the, course it's absurd. Have you? Seen, <laughs> have you seen the clips of Shaq playing point guard in like the All Star games? Yeah, hey, and it's comic. It, it's it's, so it's comical. It is. It is comical. But just I don't know. It was interesting. I didn't. I don't know. Outside of the body type, I don't really think I see it. He's hard to compare, dude. He he's truly unique, right? Okay, and it's hard. You got you hear about unicorns all the time. He is like actually a unicorn with every skill that he possesses. You know his his court mapping, his basketball IQ, his anticipation like that's unprecedented. And you know, throw him in a seven foot, three hundred pound body, and like you have the best player in the league. Yeah, you do, which is crazy. Um. Okay, we're, we're we're gonna get off topic because you said you said the word unicorn. So now I must ask you what you think about Wimby. All in, but not all in in the sense of like he's gonna be one of the best ever. All in in the sense that you know he projects to be an all star. 
Yes. The expectations they give they've given him is too much. Yes. I, I saw I agree. one person say his floor is Durant. I saw one person say that if he doesn't end up as Durant or Hakeem, then he's a failure. And I was like, both of those guys I won think Chris multiple Broussard titles. Said that. Maybe it was I think Broussard. that was Chris Broussard. I thought it was uh <laughs> Jay Jalen on ESPN. I don't know. I think I heard either way. Maybe Chris Broussard say that too. But that's an outrageous thing to say. It is. And I am I am not Okay, let me back up. I believe that he can do it. I believe that he can be a, yeah. you know, an incredible player. What I'm not a believer in is 7 foot 3 guys or 7 foot 5, excuse me, who play like that. None of them stay healthy. None of them do. And have I've, we seen a 7 5 guy like that yet? Like truly like that? We saw Yao Ming who was much thicker who should have lasted not be able to do it and they all have problems with their feet. Yeah. And I just look, if if he stays healthy, I think he's going to be awesome. But I I just don't think that he will. Yeah, and man, it's just so hard to envision that it works out to the level of like goat conversation. Like I don't think we'll ever and I could be wrong literally with Wemby, but I just don't think we're ever going to put that high of expectations on someone and them actually live up to it. I think we've seen it one time with LeBron in our lives. Yeah. In our lives. And I think, uh, the older generation, I think maybe two generations ago, maybe one, I don't know, but I think they had that with Kareem. Yeah, probably. So I think maybe we get it. I just, I, I find it hard to believe that we're going to see as as that player is leaving the league that same guy enters the league that's yeah. just that would that would be shocking to me so here's my favorite thing about all this Wemby stuff is you you can see the crease you can see the divide between basketball generations you know you've got all the people who are upset all the older people get upset when people our age say that LeBron's the greatest player ever they get they, they get upset because Michael Jordan is their guy, right? And I love getting on Twitter. They're wrong, but they're right. But you're right. I love getting on Twitter and seeing all these LeBron people react to all the Wimby hype. They're upset at the idea that Wimby is more hyped than LeBron, and you you can just you can see it coming. Like the next generation, if Wimby ends up staying healthy and he ends up being everything he, everything that he's supposed to be, like. Their whole thing is going to be Wimby's better than LeBron, and it's going to be so fun to sit back and just like watch history repeat itself. Let's be honest, though. LeBron was the better prospect. I don't know. I, you're, they're you're, they're so talking, different. Well, you're you're talking about Wimby not being able to stay healthy or questions about his health. That's fair. Like that that in itself, you know, knocks you as a prospect. That's true. Like if, That's fair. Because a prospect, you're projecting what this guy will be. LeBron never had. LeBron had the body that he was never going to get injured. So like, if they're comparable in hype in terms of their game, like that health thing has to come into. That's fair. Into into play. I don't know. We'll see. It's it's going to be interesting. I just, I I think that the one thing that they have in common is, you know, when LeBron was in high school, they didn't put high school games on TV. 
and they put a high school game on for LeBron. I don't know about you, but in my 23 years of living, I've never turned on ESPN and seen Metropolitan 92 on my TV. That's the Wimby effect. Like That is the one thing that they have in common that I think is so funny. Because that's, that's one of the big things that, that people will say when, when, when they talk about the hype stuff is, well, they put LeBron on TV when he was in high school, and they never did that. Yeah, because they put they put France teams on TV all the time. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> real quick, one more thing. Uh, this you know me, so you'll you understand. I joined a Spurs Facebook group just I'm, to see. I'm probably to in it too. I, I joined several as well, and I just wanted to see what they were saying. And like, my goodness. The expectations that that city is going to put on him, I know it, it could crush him. Seriously, it's insane. Like it you, is. like some of the things that they are saying about him is like even the best players ever might not be able to live up to that or haven't lived up to that. Yeah, and look, okay, one of my favorite things to do now is to go into Facebook groups and just say oh. absurd things. It's because oh. <laughs> I, do, it's so much fun. So I. And sometimes you you can say logical things, and then people will tell you absurd things. So I've joined all these Facebook groups based off of topics to put like my YouTube videos in. Uh, by the way, Shooting the Schmitz, the YouTube channel, go subscribe. Anyway, and so what I'll do is like I'll post the link, and then I'll do like a short little write up. And so the other day, this was during the Lakers series. I th- I think I I did like a Lakers Nuggets preview thing, and I put in there. One of the two greatest players of all time, LeBron James. Because you either have him one or two. Or that's what I thought. Nope. <laughs> no, that's, that's not what it was. It was the Warriors and the Lakers. And I was like, two of the ten greatest players of all time set to match, set to face off once again. You know, possibly the final chapter in the Steph Curry versus LeBron stuff. <laughs> Building it up, man. Really, really good writing, if I don't say so myself. Anyway, I post it. And, look, I've got no notifications off because Facebook just wants to send you a million notifications. So, like, Gosh. once every hour or so, I go back and check. And this man has responded to me, questioning the fact that I said <laughs> that LeBron James and Steph Curry are two of the greatest players to ever play basketball. How dare you? And I respond, and I say, well... Who do you have? Like, like, who's your top 10? I don't remember the whole list. But he starts it at 10, and he works his way down. And at number 10 was LeBron James. Oh, God. And I just, I didn't respond. I was just like, no, I can't. I can't deal with this. (laughs) I can't deal with this. Um, That that is all (laughs) of these groups. So um i just pulled up what i said and yours is probably funnier than mine but mine was like truly to try to get under the skin of these fans like just instigate so i said it was a it was wemby and uh scoot henderson and they're talking about could they pull off getting both of them already outrageous yeah no way who (laughs) could they send portland (laughs) i said we we will never be good this is what we get for quitting on Kawhi. He should have been a lifelong spur, but Pop let his pride get in the way. Oh gosh! <laughs> what did they say to that? Um, just like, like a hundred, like a hundred comments saying like, 
you know, you're an idiot. Pop didn't have anything to do with it. It was all Kawhi's uncle. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, like, it Kawhi's was... <laughs> uncle lives in L.A. And so I guess, like, Kawhi's dad died. And I think his uncle was, like, this is actually kind of a sad story. His uncle's, like, his only, like, living relative left. And he lives in L.A. And so he wanted to be in L.A. to be with his uncle, which, like, makes sense. But yes. I think it's, like, you can't just live out there during the summer. Right. But anyway, yeah, that's that's hilarious. He brought up his uncle. That's great. Okay. Are we ready for gambling? I was about to say, game one, we got ZG the Grapevine here with us. All I do is give out winners. That's pretty much. uh, That is the Twitter, right? At at ZG the Grapevine? At ZG, T-H-A, Grapevine. Okay. Yep. So I I, I got to be honest with you here, man. I think I've got an absolute winner. A nice little... It's a it's it's technically a parlay because it's two bets in one, but because it's two, is it really a parlay? No, yeah. that doesn't count. So I like Michael Porter Jr. to score fifteen plus, which I think is minus one fifty, and then I like Michael Porter Michael Porter Jr. to grab eight plus rebounds, which is minus one hundred five. He's averaging eight rebounds a game in the playoffs. What's the odds on those together? Like plus 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 yeah. Plus, that's like plus 187. So, yeah. Yeah. He's averaging eight I rebounds a game in, in the playoffs right now. And they've played these huge teams. I mean, they played Minnesota, Rudy Gobert, and Carl Anthony Towns. They played Phoenix, where, you know, it's Aiton and Kevin Durant, which, you know, not big bodies, but, like, those guys are 6'10", 7 foot. Right. And then the Lakers, you got AD and LeBron. And he's averaging eight rebounds a game through all of that. And now they're going to play against the Heat, the smallest team that they've played. Michael Porter Jr. at times will be the tallest guy on the floor. With the leaping ability and the length that he has, he has no reason to not average 10-plus rebounds a game. I feel a lot better about the rebounds than I do the shooting. But look, I think Miami, they're going to try the zone. They're going to. And so he's going to get some open looks, and we know Michael Porter Jr. is not afraid to let that thing go. No, he's not. He has the ultimate green light. He does. It's it's so great. Uh, you know, you know, so many so many zero assist games. It just warms <laughs> my heart. I really really like that bet because I don't I don't know if there's a matchup that really favors the Heat on him. I don't think there is. They they don't and have they, anyone with the length, and he is going to get his shots up. So you know. The only way you lose the point side is if he has a a bad shooting night, but that happens with everyone. So you can, you can have a bad shooting night, but like the rebounds is a great call. Um, you know, and obviously I think the 15 points is awesome. But like I said, like with him, with him being that third guy and you know, what if Murray is like playoff bubble Murray and like the shots just aren't there. That's how I always think of gambling. Like, I think of the worst-case scenario, and if I still like the bet, that's when I put it in, and I still like the bet. I'll never forget. Last year, I put, you know, I was doing one of those, like, really dumb things where you put, like, 50 cents down. It's when, like, a couple grand or whatever. A good lotto? I'll never forget. It's 12 legs. I hit the first 11. (laughs) And my last one was, like, Joel Embiid. It was like some superstar to score like 15 points. And they got hurt. Oh, no. And they got hurt in the second quarter. I'm sitting down watching League Pass, counting the points, you know? 
and he comes out, and whoever it was, they hit a three to open the game. And I'm just like, let's go. You know, I'm I'm so excited. You at this point, it's hitting without a doubt. Yes. And then, you know, see them go down, you see them grab their ankle. (laughs) You're like, he's all right, get up. Get up. You're all right. You're okay. (laughs) No, they're not. And yeah, it was just oh man. And then I went. I went to a game earlier this year. I went to watch Golden State play the Pacers here in Indy. And I'm watching Steph, and I could tell early he was he was on a burner. And I immediately log in, live bet him to score 40. And he gets hurt at 38. Oh, gosh. You're unlucky. Yeah. I haven't, haven't, haven't gambled since. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'm going to put that in. I'm putting it in. Really? I'm putting in the Jonathan Smith bet, and I'm I'm riding with it. It's a I good like one. I like it. I think it's a great pick. What's your pick? All right. Did a lot of research here. Okay. And I usually do. I usually do the research the day before the game, but I I did it today, um, and yesterday. I have two bets. One, Heat plus nine. I think that's really yeah. I think that the Heat are in a competitive mode right now. They're in a playoff mode. You know, they're they're hungry. They want to prove that, you know, they're going to be in this series. They want to win this series, not just be in it. And I think they're, you know, the idea of rest versus rust for Denver. Yep. Um, I think Denver wins game one, but I think it's not going to be easy. Nine's a and lot. I think, I think you could see the Heat jump out a little bit, maybe get like an eight or nine point lead. Yeah. And then from then on, it's just back and forth. And, you know, the the Nuggets, I think, they'll, I think they'll probably win by five or six. I just think that the Heat are in this mode right now where they're getting off game seven. They've known nothing but competing. They've known nothing but getting after it. And it might take the Nuggets a quarter or two to get back into the flow after such a long break. Yeah. So that's my first pick. I like that. That, ma- that makes a lot of sense. My second pick is a player prop okay. that I love. Over 11.5 points, Bruce Brown. Okay. What what makes you say that? I, I think love- when he comes in, I think when he comes in and, you know, is, you know, the primary ball handler for that second unit, I don't know who on Miami can, can slow him down from, you know, a ball handler standpoint. I think getting him in the pick and roll, I think he'll have some easy drives to the hoop, you know, a couple layups. And then I think I think he'll be open when he's with the starters, when he's with the ones. I think there will be so much attention towards Spur, uh, Jokic. Jokic and Murray that I think we could see maybe you know one or two corner threes as well. So I okay. think I think there's just going to be spots. He's not going to score twenty, okay. But there's just going to be these spots during the game where he has a chance to to score. And I think you know he had a bad game offensively in Game Seven against the Lakers. I think he wants to get back on track, and I think he gets over the 11 and a half. Well, my thing that I really – so, first of all, Bruce Brown, probably my favorite role player in the league. Love Bruce Brown. He's awesome. Loved him in Brooklyn. He's playing the five. It's like 6'4". Okay? <laughs> like, I mean, he was awesome. And he was so good out, out of the short role. Anyway, that's no Bruce Brown rant needed in terms of what he did in Brooklyn. But the thing that I like about him, and I think that I like about this prop – is there aren't very many role players who can get to the rim. And Bruce Brown can. And so if the shot isn't falling, he can get to the rim and he can score that way. 
Because like, I feel like a lot of these role players who you see, you know, their props set around 10 or 11 are these, like, catch-and-shoot guys. And it's like, are they going to hit four threes? I think I'd rather right. bet, you know, three plus threes than for them to score 12. And so I really, I like that. Yeah, and, you know, that was my, you know, usually how it works is I go through and look at the line of, you know, the spread of the game, and then I kind of look through the player props and I kind of pick a couple out that seem interesting just from my eye and like from what I know. And I go back and I have a, like four or five resources that I use. And all of those resources that I use are, are projecting that he goes over. I think he goes over. It's not a lock. Nothing in gambling is. But it is my best bet for game one. Okay. So best bet, Bruce Brown over 11 and a half points. Okay. I like it. That's good. Give us the, the Twitter one, one more time. At ZG the with an A grapevine ZG the grapevine. That's good. I like that. That's a good name. I'm here for that. Reed Mouse gave it to me. Of course he did. That makes sense. Yeah. Chatterbox Sports. They're blowing up, dude. They just had Scott Boris on. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah, not a surprise. Like, so since you know we had Reed on like two years ago. Jeez. So long ago. Jeez. Ever since then, you know. You got to check in from time to time on people who take the time to come out and be on the podcast. And so, from time I'll check in, and they do really good stuff. They're awesome. So you can tell them I said that. You know, there's a lot of hard work in, involved in that. Um, oh yeah, I bet. They, I mean, they were really they were really just like covering high school sports with like a like a camcorder, and now they have a studio. You know, they have you know have guys that work for you know, the big East and all this other, like they're, they're crushing it. And I got the, I, I had the privilege of calling a few games on chatterbox, like as That's a awesome. color guy. Um, and you know, it's something that I would like to get into. Obviously, you know, you know, my feelings about sports media. I know you do. I know, um, I know him very well, but I didn't, you know, I would have to, I would have to really, really sacrifice some, a lot of things to get there. And, you know, hopefully that day comes where I feel like I can, um, but dude, I just love this stuff so much. And like Chatterbox is like a, it's like that shining star that like you can do that. And like what you do, same thing. I can do that, but you know, enough of my soapbox, but no, I just appreciate, I appreciate the people that I know that went out and did it and something that I wanted to do. Uh, you guys actually went and did it. So big appreciate ups. It. Yeah, man. Just, you talk about the sacrifice. Oh my gosh, dude. Just not even just like when you're by yourself and you're single, it's not a big deal. But for you, you know, you obviously have the girlfriend and everything. And, and I did the sacrifice already just for a different thing. You did. You, know? you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you played ball. You chased an awesome dream. Right. You know, that, you know, if I hadn't torn my shoulder, I probably would have chased two. Because there's nothing better than playing baseball. You That's know? true. And so. Betting on basketball, though, is up there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and then so, like, whenever – but even for me now, like, I remember sitting down with Amelia really early on, just being like, this is what I want to do. Like, there's a chance that, like, in two years, I get a call, and we're paying up, and we're moving somewhere else, you know? And so, you have to be able to find someone who's willing to do all those things with you, and th- thankfully, I have. She's yeah, awesome. She sat in Starbucks today with me for four hours while I wrote multiple articles and did research for this. And she didn't let complain. Me, let me send you an article one day. Come on. I can, I think you know this, but I can definitely write. I know you can. 
Like I might, like, I think I'm okay at the podcast stuff, but I, I think I'm better at writing. And I think you think that too. I, I could be wrong. I've read, I think one of, one of your things. And so look, free advice for people. If you want to get into writing, first of all, really hard to break into in terms of like a full-time thing. But if you, something you want to do long-term, go to fansided.com. That's who I write for. They have blogs for every single professional sports team, college as well. And they're super relaxed. The minimum, you have to write one article a month. If you do that, you keep your job. And you can write, you know, 100 if you want. That's absurd. But you, if you wanted to, they would allow you. And so, like, for you, like, you could, you could do, you could write for the Bengals easily. You, Ohio State football. You could write for the Buckeyes easily. And so, I mean, look, it's it's not a ton. Of, it's not a ton of extra cash. I think the best I've done, yeah, I usually make somewhere between like fifty and and hundred extra bucks a month. I mean, it's not hard work. It's stuff that I'm going to talk about and read about right. either way. So I might as well put it down on some paper, you know. Yeah. So if you're into the writing stuff, that's what I would do. I'll definitely have to try that, dude. There, I just want I want to do it so bad, but I just don't. I don't know. I don't know if I can yet. It's it's coming though. I've I've had this dream ever since even when I was playing baseball, I was telling you about this. So they I haven't have given a gambling up on site yet. too. I'm just I'm I'm curious now. What'd you say? I said I think they may have a gambling site as well. Where they like have people write about gambling. They do. Bet sided. That's what it's called. Nice. And so you could literally just take your daily picks and put them down on paper and have people read them. That's like the cool thing. Like, yeah, that's the easiest thing about sports media. You just copy and paste content over onto different platforms. What's well, all I talk about all day and think about all day? Like, why, why wouldn't I? Yeah, seriously, want to do that? You know. <laughs> um, what are you doing now? I am recording, so if you don't want to say, if you want to tell me off the no, air, that's I'm, fine. No, I I work for a logistics company in Cincinnati, and it's not a bad gig at all. Um, I run my own book of business essentially, but like, you know. I don't know if it, my employer is going to listen to this. I love my job, but I have a, a big dream of, you know, getting into sports in some capacity. So for, for sure. sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, anything else about anything before we, we shut it down and go home? No, I would like for it to be, uh, I would like for this to happen again in less time than it took for me to get on this one. It was a we long can, time before I got on. It's been so long. We got to, we can run it back at the, at the end of the finals. And then oh, over the summer, when I'm, I wouldn't say scrambling for content, but but when content is much thinner and it's a lot of just like top creative, ten Tuesdays, top ten Tuesdays, COVID, <laughs> That's a throwback the pandemic, COVID. jeez. <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day how long I've been doing this for, and I told them five years, and they're like, "That's absurd." That's how long I've been doing this for, and yeah, I'm <laughs> top ten Tuesdays, jeez. That was a blast, so though. That was a that blast. That was so fun. But yeah, so but yeah, we can we can definitely make that happen. Um, yeah, man. But it'll happen again. We we got to do something at the end of the finals, at, sure. At a minimum, just to recap everything that goes on, and obviously we can do a big. See if our predictions thing. were right. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Exactly. So we'll we'll definitely do that. Um, thanks, dude, for coming on. We. I appreciate it. And anytime you come on and the episodes always do better when you come on. So anytime, man, you know me, like you texted me and the answer is usually yes. <laughs> yeah, bro. I, this is one of the most fun 
you know, hour and a half, two hours that I have when I, when I get a chance to do it. So appreciate you. And I appreciate everybody that would listen to this as well. So you got it, ZG, man. the grapevine on Twitter. If you guys want to make some money, T-H-A, not T-H-E. T-H-A. <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to do it here at shooting the Schmidt. Once again, thanks to Zach Gray so much for coming on the pod. Uh, put in those bets. He's usually right as much as I hate to say it. <laughs> so that's going to do it here at shooting the Schmidt. I'll be back again. Probably with another podcast on Friday if you want to hear more stuff from me. A little bit quicker, go over to the YouTube channel. Shooting the Schmidt, I'm doing all the post-game reactions to every game throughout the NBA Finals. You're not going to miss those. Thank you all so much once again for listening to the podcast, and I'll talk to you all on Friday.